All right. Take your Bible and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, please. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to read together the entirety of the chapter, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Let's pray. Our Father, we join together in prayer this morning to worship you, to call out to you because we would find ourselves tempted to despair. We would find ourselves 
losing heart. If our eyes were to fix upon the world around us or our own performance or any other visible thing. And so we close our eyes and we don't see you visibly. We don't see you physically, but we look to you. We call out to you and ask that you would work in our hearts in the unseen places using your word even this morning. Father, we need you. And so we ask that you would encourage us in Christ from your word by your spirit even this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, you know, there's a book that begins, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. And I won't assess for you what the times are like for you, but I I will just uh, mention to you the news. Afghanistan, COVID, masks, and... All of the various information we hear about those topics. As we look at our world, as we, uh, as the, that great social commentator Denzel Washington commented one time, if we, if you don't read the newspaper, you're uninformed. If you read the newspaper, you're misinformed. That's a little bit what it feels like. We look at our world and we don't see encouraging news, that's for sure. And that's when we look at the news. That's when we look at the world. But what about the church? What about the state of the church in the United States? Well, if you pay much attention to that, if you uh, do much reading uh, on that topic, uh, you find a lot that is not really encouraging. From what is being taught, from divisions that are happening within the church, from things that are being valued or devalued within the church, or if you look to the fact that there are pastors being jailed in Canada, for example, what's the, what's the condition, what's the state of the church in the U.S. or in our world? Is it something to rejoice about? The plight of the church, perhaps. Or maybe, maybe a little bit closer to home, maybe your own personal sin, your own personal failures. Or maybe it's the sins and failures of other people against you that have harmed you, causes problems and pain for you. Well, I confess that these things uh, have been piling up in my own mind. And I imagine they may be piling up in your mind as well. And so I find myself in need of encouragement from God's Word. And I suspect that you also need encouragement from God's Word. What is true, what we can rely upon, how God would encourage us. So we look at this passage and we see what is going on in this passage. And so you, you see that in your notes there, you don't really have notes. You have a blank sheet of paper, right? So you can write down, you can you know, make your own blanks if you want and fill it in with whatever I say or whatever you want to fill it in with, but uh, you don't have an outline in front of you, but all we're going to do is walk through this chapter and we're going to find that it's applicable 
in our situation. We look at the beginning of our chapter, verse 1. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, Paul says, we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. How is it that Paul, with what he faced, the things that he went through with the opposition that was against him, that he's going to spell out in First and Second Corinthians and other places in his writings, how is it that that man would not lose heart? Well, that's kind of a question. That's kind of what's being brought up. That's what we want to examine as we look at our uh, paragraph here. He says, he says, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. H- how is it, Paul, that you have not uh, lost heart? Now, if you remember uh, in the, the background of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, there were people who had come into the church in Corinth. These people were fancy and flashy, and their ministry was a success, and they were, you know, their hair was done right, and they, they talked well, and God was blessing them, and they had wealth, and they had all this, and they were the super apostles, right? They were the ones who were doing super well, and then, and then the Corinthians were remembering Paul, you know, who had the scars from being stoned and beaten and whipped, and he was weather-worn because he walked everywhere he went. He was a, this little man who suffered. And they're thinking, well, we've got these apostles who look fabulous. We've got these guys, I should put quotes around, air quotes around apostles. We've got these people who come to town and they, they have uh, nice rides and they stay in the best places and they have, they have everything going for them. And then we remember Paul. And he didn't, you know, he didn't always smell good, you know. He didn't, he didn't always, uh, you know, his nose was bent from the stonings. And he wasn't much to look at. And really, he wasn't even all that much to listen to. Right? So there's this thing going on, and Paul, in the midst of that, says, We do not lose heart. I, Paul, and those with me, we who proclaim the truth, do not lose heart. Well, tell us what's behind that, Paul. He says, first of all, we refuse to tamper with God's Word. We refuse to spruce up the gospel to make it somehow more appealing. We refuse to practice cunning using disgraceful, underhanded methods to sell you the gospel, to sell you our message. He says, we just present the truth openly, an open statement of the truth. That's what Paul has. That's his message. Paul, what's your shtick? How do you how, how do you sell this? How do you how do you get people on board? What do you what's your what's your tactic? What's your hook? Well, I preach the truth unvarnished. I preach the truth an open statement of the truth. And by those means we commend ourselves. Here's the gospel. Here's the word of God. And Paul preaches that. We don't change, we don't disguise, we don't veil the gospel. But to some people it ends up being veiled. Verse 3, even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. Sometimes we present the gospel and people don't get it. Well, Paul, you should work on your outline. You should work on the way you present it so that people would get it. Paul says sometimes we preach it. The plain, unvarnished truth of the gospel and it's veiled. They don't get it. Well, why is it veiled? Well, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, 
who is the image of God. Paul says we come on the scene, we preach the truth, and sometimes it's not received. And the problem is not with my outline, says Paul. Now, there may be problems with my outlines, okay? I'm not... Paul is saying, I preach the truth. It's unvarnished. It's plain. It's right there before you. And sometimes people just don't get it. Why is it that they don't get it? Well, the God of this world has blinded their minds. They can't get it. They can't get it. He says, for some people, they just don't get the gospel. They don't understand it. And it's the, the, the solution. The solution in Paul's mind is not, I need to order it better. Or I need to present it more emotionally or less emotionally or more logically or anything. He says sometimes the gospel is proclaimed and it is simply not received because their minds are veiled. The God of this world has blinded their minds, has blinded their eyes, lest they see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Paul says we don't proclaim ourselves. We don't we're not going to we're not going to repackage anything. We're not there to talk about ourselves or make ourselves acceptable to anyone. He says we proclaim not ourselves but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus sake. We just preach the gospel. We don't preach ourselves, we don't market ourselves. Proclaim the truth of the gospel for God who said let light shine out of darkness. Remember back in creation when he was forming all things? That God who has that power to create light from darkness? The God who said let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. For some, the message is veiled. They, they don't receive it. And for others, they wouldn't have received it except that the God who created light and said, let light shine out of darkness, shines light into the heart, illuminating the truth of the gospel for that person. And they trust Christ. What Paul is saying here is, we just preach the truth, and the truth is useful to God to do His work, to accomplish His purposes. So, Paul relies upon a clear and plain presentation of the gospel, knowing that it is truth, knowing that it is useful to God to save sinners. He just preaches the truth of who God is. The gospel is used by God then to cause the person to awaken, for their eyes to be opened, that they would see who God really is and who, who Christ really is and how they have peace with God by faith in Christ. It's only as the gospel is revealed in that way, it's only as Christ is held up in that way and believed upon that He is seen as glorious. And all of that, that glory of God, that peace with God, that joy... That knowledge of God is all found in Christ. And so Paul says, we preach Christ. We lay Him out before you. It's the simple gospel proclamation that is what God uses to save. And so, some of you may have heard the gospel a thousand times. 
but it just rolls off of your back like, like, uh, like water off a duck's back. And my prayer for you is that God would use this gospel presentation today to open your eyes, to shine light right down in there, to give you knowledge of Christ and faith in Him, that you would have peace with God. This, this gospel pre- proclamation that we're talking about is not an abstract concept, it's not a philosophy, it's not a notion. It's a gospel and it has to deal with you. Your enmity before God, if you are not in Christ Jesus, that enmity because of your own sin. God's holiness means that sin cannot remain in His presence and and your sin that you have keeps you at enmity with God and means that you deserve punishment, judgment, wrath by God. His righteous indignation for the offense against His person and His holiness. And that, that, that judgment that you deserve, the expression of that enmity and that final judgment is, is eternal separation from God in a place we call hell. That's, that's what every person in their nature deserves. And God gave Christ. He sent His Son Jesus, who was obedient, who gave Himself to pay that penalty on the cross for sinners, not for His, for mine that I could have forgiveness by faith in Christ. That I could have His righteousness credited to me, given to me by faith in Christ. This gospel is for you. And my prayer this morning is that that gospel message will shine right into your heart. And the God who, who who brought light out of darkness will bring light in your heart to see Christ and trust in Him. There's another point of application for us here in this, in this particular passage. The Word of God is perfectly reliable. The Word of God is perfectly reliable. When I read the news, one of the things that drives me nuts about the news is I don't know if I can believe them. And I read the other news and I don't know if I can believe them. And I don't know if I can believe any of the sources passing on information to me. It makes me crazy. God's Word reliably, accurately, and truly conveys to us the truth of God. This is the reliable Word of God. It is clear. It is learnable. It is right here in front of me. And it tells me truth about my situation. And I can trust it. And in contrast to the way the news is, in contrast to uh, the faulty information or the suspicious information at very best that we get from the world, this stands out in stark contrast to that because it is reliable and true. So Paul begins by raising this idea, we do not lose heart. And he starts talking immediately about the gospel and God's work in saving people. And he says in the next paragraph that we have this treasure in jars of clay. We have this treasure in jars of clay for a purpose. 
to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. You see, we are the jars of clay. Nothing fancy. I mean, we dress ourselves up and we try to hide most of the cracks, right? But we are the jars of clay. We are those who are vulnerable, weak, not polished, not always attractive to look at. They don't seem very strong. But he says we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. If there's anything of value, it's not because this is a really nice clay pot. It's a treasure that God has deposited within a clay pot. And sometimes the clayness, sometimes the fragility, sometimes the the cracks and the, the chipped paint of our lives displays all the more clearly that it is God's grace that gets us through. That it is God and this salvation that He has given us in Christ that sustains us. The power is in Him, not in me. Not in me. And then he he goes on this list here and he says, we are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down even, but not destroyed. Yes, the attacks are real. The offenses against us are real. The threats are real. But we endure them, not because of the strength of our clay, but because of the treasure that we have within that keeps us going, that keeps us walking with Him despite all affliction and crushing and and perplexing and all of that that happens. The being struck down is real, but a Christian will never be destroyed. The being persecuted is real, but we are not forsaken. The being perplexed is a real thing. I am often perplexed lately, but it doesn't lead us to despair. He says we carry in our bodies, verse 10, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Carrying in our body the death of Jesus. Jesus who suffered and said we would suffer also. It shouldn't be a surprise to us. We carry that with us. And there's a purpose to it, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. When we we show life where everything would tell us to expect death, when, when there is grace for us to give yet again, when no one would rightfully expect us to give grace to that person, 
They've crushed us. They've beaten us. They've harmed us. They've whatever. And we can give grace. That's evidence of the life of Christ in us. When there is life where all life appears to have been stamped out. That's the life of Christ showing itself. Despite all perplexity. Despite all crushing. Despite all being stricken down. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Why do we suffer? One of the big reasons is so the overcoming resurrection life of Christ will be visible even in our being crushed, even in our suffering. That there is actual spiritual life from God that God Himself is showing the resurrection life of Christ in us even in a moment when we are crushed. Paul says, so, death is at work in us, but life in you. Paul is saying, this suffering that we have done, the being attacked, the being beaten, being perplexed, the demonstrations of the brittleness of our clay pot is so that the treasure would be put on display for you. So that other people would not rejoice in Paul and say, Paul was the sharpest guy. He came to town and he wowed everybody and I can't wait till he comes back. But instead they'd say, Paul came and spoke and he wasn't much to listen to. He wasn't much to look at. But that Jesus he preached, he is powerful He is something else, and I want to know Him. That's the very reason we have the treasure of salvation and the gospel in jars of clay instead of some shiny, bulletproof material. Lest that distract from the glory of Christ Himself. Moving on. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what, is, what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak. Now I'll tell you uh, momentarily, this would be a, a psalm worth your time. Psalm 116 is what the reference is to. Psalm 116 is written from the perspective of a time when the psalmist was suffering, harm by enemies, harm by those on the outside who had wronged him. And even in the midst of that feeling weak, in the midst of that threat, he believes and so he cries out to God. Even in the midst of that suffering, the suffering is real. And crying out to God doesn't make the suffering go away. It doesn't remove the perplexity. It doesn't remove the threat. But in the midst of that pain, in the midst of that suffering, the psalmist cries out to God. I believed, and therefore I spoke to God. I cried out to God. Psalm 116, I I commend it to you. Paul says here, We have that same spirit of faith. According to what's been written, I believed, and so I spoke. We also believe, and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. Jesus really suffered. It wasn't pretend. It was awful. 
And we don't know the half of it because he, righteous Jesus, took sin upon himself, was treated as sin by God. And no one hates sin more than Jesus. And he was going to bear that sin. He was going to become sin for us and be judged in our place. And that suffering that he went through, which was real and agonizing, was resolved, was solved, led to his being raised from the dead. That God raised him, God gave new life to Christ, restored him to life. He was raised, and so we who suffer, our suffering is also real. And crying out to God doesn't take the pain away, but it reminds us He gives life, resurrection life. And even if this suffering that I'm going through, even if the suffering that our Christian brothers and sisters in Afghanistan are going through leads to their death, yet there is life because of the resurrection of Christ. They too will be raised with Him and will be taken into His presence. And this grace extends more and more as the gospel is proclaimed, thanksgiving is increased to God and God is glorified all the more. Any suffering that we do is fully redeemed at the resurrection. But Paul started off by saying we do not lose heart. How is it? You need to... You need to you need to complete the loop for us here, Paul. How is it that you don't lose heart? Well, he says in the next paragraph, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Our outer self, the clay pot, keeps getting chipped and worn. It's fragile and there are broken pieces and cracks in it. And all the while that that is happening, our outer self is wasting away, yet our inner self is being renewed day by day. The brokenness, the, the clayness of the pot, the fragility of the pot doesn't result in a diminishment of that treasure that is held within it. We instead are being renewed in our inner man day by day. This light momentary affliction, Paul can say. Paul, who had suffered real, lasting affliction, as I would count it, I wouldn't want to go through the things that he's gone through, that he spells out, the number of times he's been shipwrecked and, and, and beaten and, and persecuted, thrown in jail, and, and, and all of those sorts of things that he had gone through. That bet. That's real persecution. That's real suffering. That's not what he calls it. This light, momentary affliction. It's light. It's not burdensome. It's not destructive. It's not crushing me. It's not lasting. It's not going to be forever. It's momentary. It's a light, momentary affliction. And that's not to make light of suffering. Paul's happy to talk about his suffering. He's happy to lay it out. But what he's saying is, as, as heavy as, and intense as that suffering is or has been or might be. 
Yet it is light and momentary compared to the resurrection life that goes on forever. Compared to being in Jesus' presence, looking upon his face, knowing that joy, having all of that suffering behind me, having peace with God without the presence of sin. Yeah, this is momentary light. Big deal compared to that glory. This momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. This suffering is not just something we squeak through. and We don't know why. I don't know why we have to suffer. We just do, and, and that's that, and then we'll get past it at some point. He says there's a purpose for it. There's a purpose in our suffering. This light, momentary affliction is producing for us an eternal, not a momentary, an eternal weight, not a light, but weighty, heavy, eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. There is no comparison. It's exactly the opposite. As I suffer now, and, and even perhaps the more intense the suffering gets, the more it causes me to look in hope of what it's going to be like in His presence forever. What it means that I get to have peace with God now and for all eternity. And there is hope. And it makes this, this affliction that seems eternal and heavy actually light and momentary in comparison. Beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, or the things that are seen or transient, things that are unseen are eternal. How are we able not to lose heart? How was Paul able not to lose heart? He who faced real difficulty. And our struggle that we face, the difficulty that we face, is not exactly the same as Paul's. It's a different time. We have different roles. It's a different world. But there is struggle, and there is hardship, and there is affliction. How is it that we could not lose heart but stay encouraged? When we read the news, when we watch the news, when we hear the news, when we, when we talk to other people whose opinions and, and, and perspectives are so much different from ours, we don't even really know how to grab a hold of what is true. And it, and it makes us crazy. We begin to mistreat other people, even other Christian people. Well, that's hard. How, how can we not lose heart in the midst of that. When it, when it feels like we're walking on quicksand all the time, not knowing what to believe, not knowing who to believe, how do we not lose heart? We look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. The things that are seen are transient, they're passing away. Things that are unseen are eternal. 
we have to look at the world around us. I mean, if you, if you close your eyes and walk somewhere, you're going to stub your toe. You're going to run into somebody. You're going to fall off a cliff, right? You've got to have your eyes open. You've got to be interacting in this world. And actually, it's not even right to desire to close our eyes to this world because we have been redeemed and placed in this world for such a time as this, that we could take the gospel to the world around us, that we could minister to, to the world around us for Christ. So we need to have our eyes open. We need to see and know what is there. See the people around us so that we can actually minister to them. We need to see their hurts. We need to see their sins so that we can bring the gospel and the comfort of Christ to them. So we can't have our eyes closed. We don't even desire to have our eyes closed. But boy, sometimes it would be nice just not to have the distraction and the confusion. But we walk through this life with our eyes open. And we see confusion and we see confusing things and we see hardship and suffering and we think about what what the women and children in Afghanistan will go through if you have any misgivings about what uh, what the Taliban will do it, it it is evil what they will accomplish what will be wrought upon women and children in Afghanistan it's evil and so though we don't have to stare at it we have to be awake to it we have to have our eyes open to it. This is the world in which we've been called to minister. But with our eyes open, how is it that we cannot lose heart? Because I'll tell you, I'll tell you, it's, it's difficult not to lose heart. For me, it's difficult not to lose heart. When I think about the world out there, when I think about the state of the church in the United States, when I think about relationships that I have when I think about my own sin? Well, I can't ignore any of those things. I have to have my eyes open to them. But the way we keep from losing heart, the way we stay encouraged, has to do with what we do with our eyes. We are to look not to the things that are seen. Our focus, our primary focus, perhaps our ultimate focus, is not on the things that are seen. Our ultimate focus is on the things that are unseen. We look to Christ. We look to the gospel. We trust in Him. And as we understand that perspective, as we keep Him in our focus, it brings everything else into perspective. And now I can begin to understand how it is I'm supposed to navigate this life with a world that will lie to me at every turn with my own sinful flesh that will trip me up at every turn. The only way I can make sense, the only way I can keep from being disheartened is to keep my eyes fixed on Him. My perspective becomes established. That's how, that's how we keep from being discouraged. And if perhaps you are discouraged, as I have been, much of the time lately, I have been discouraged. It could be because you or I have come to look not at the things that are unseen, but at the things that are seen. Are we practically believing that the things that are unseen are transient and the things that are seen are eternal? Have we lost the perspective? And instead of keeping firmly fixed in our mind who Christ is, 
what the gospel is, what he has done for us, and thus making sense of everything else in light of that? Have we instead shifted our focus to what the world would tell us and try to make sense of that and then somehow fit Christ into that picture? Maybe maybe that's what I've done. Maybe that's what we're doing. Paul would encourage us, keep your eyes fixed on Christ. Looking to that which is unseen because it is eternal. This gospel that he started off talking this chapter, uh, talking about in this chapter, is eternal. It is fixed, immovable, reliable. He says, plant your feet on that, the Word of God. It is stable, reliable, it is not quicksand, it is a firm foundation. Plant your feet right there and keep your eyes fixed on Christ looking to Him and what He has accomplished, looking to the gospel and God's grace for us in Jesus Christ. So I've entitled the message today, Encouragement That We Need. Maybe I should have said encouragement that I need. Encouragement that I need that I need to be reminded. Each of us needs to be reminded. God's Word is true. It does not need to be spruced up. The Gospel is a saving Gospel. It does not need to be spruced up. It doesn't need to be rethought, repackaged, rebranded. It is reliable. It is fixed. And we need to plant our feet firmly right there. And then what do we do with our eyes? We look to Jesus. We look to what He has accomplished. We look to the things that are unseen with our naked eye. The things that are eternal. We keep our eyes fixed on them. Paul puts it another way in Colossians chapter 3. He says, If then you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. That is what is true. That is what is reliable. And as we do that, as we have our feet firmly planted in God's Word, believing it, relying on it, and we have our eyes fixed on Christ. That changes everything. That changes everything. Now, the sinful world, the sinfulness of it doesn't diminish. It actually increases in my understanding of it. But now I understand it in light of what is ultimately true. In light of what gives me hope. In light of where I'm headed. In light of what Christ has finally and fully accomplished. And I can live in this world that's mixed up, that's confusing, that that would lie to me, that that would lie to all of us and confuse us, in some parts of the world that would kill us. And we know better how to navigate. We keep our eyes fixed on Him. We keep trusting God's Word that is reliable. And every time the news lies to us, every time a politician lies to us, every time our, our our own sinful flesh lies to us, We're reminded of God's Word and that it is true. 
God has given us His Word. And He has given us His Son. And by those means, we do not lose heart. Let's pray. Father, I rejoice that I don't have to generate some sort of um, momentum within myself. I don't have to uh, learn to be positive or something like that. I rejoice that you have given us your word that tells us what is true. And this word points us to your son, Jesus. And the salvation that is ours by faith in Christ. And Father, I pray that you would use this passage and use these truths, even as we go about our week, even as we face struggles at work, struggles at home, struggles in our own hearts, as we turn on the news or we we read about what's going on in Afghanistan or other parts of the world, or even next door, all of those things that would dishearten us, that would discourage us. I pray that we would grow in our faith, that you would grow us in our faith as we look to Christ, as we behold Him, and we rejoice that we get to be in Him. And though this world doesn't make sense, it's full of full of all kinds of uh, clay. Yet, Jesus Christ is lasting. And this salvation that we have in Him is eternal. Gives us meaning, gives us hope, gives us perspective on this world around us. Gives us heart. Father, I pray that you would work this in each of us. That when we lie down at night, we would not despair. When we wake up at night, we would not despair. When we listen to the radio or read the news or any of those things, that we would not despair. When we see evil in the world, lies in the world, and evil and lies within my own flesh, we would not despair. We would look to Christ and find lasting, enduring, powerful hope in Him. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.